0: Okay, good morning everyone. I uh, had a a bit of a different experience this week in terms of my preparation for this morning. Uh, I actually ended up doing some preparation in one of those indoor soft play uh, areas this week. Just to kind of set and clarify a few things, it wasn't that I was in the ball pool reading my Bible. I wasn't praying while swinging on the monkey bars. Uh, What had happened was I'd taken Isaac, I'd kind of released him into the wild and let him do what he wanted to do uh, while I was able to sit and and do a bit of reading and uh, a bit of thinking and and just get some ideas down. So it's a bit of a new experience for me uh, in that. But we we go quite often actually to to soft play. There's loads of, I don't know if you've noticed this, they're they're everywhere now. These indoor soft play areas for kids, they're everywhere. and We go uh, quite a bit, but it's one of those things actually when I was younger, we didn't didn't go very much to to things like that. don't feel sad for me. I'm going to come to it in a minute and explain why. Don't worry, parents. This is not a criticism. <laughs> Stick with me on this, okay? Uh, but I actually, remember, one of the last times that I went uh, to a soft play just for myself, so where I wasn't responsible for someone else or looking after someone else, was actually when I was at university. Uh, and our, the, the student group from our church, we'd hired out a soft play uh, in, in, in a town nearby where we were. Uh, and it was one way you could actually do... Um, laser tag in there as well. Okay, so you're shooting each other with laser guns while running around this soft play. Uh, and I seem to remember there was this one bit, so we were all flying around this place, running around, uh, and there was a bit in, in, the, in, the, in the play zone where, it, I try to describe it so you get it in your mind, it's like platforms uh, where you have a hole and you drop down from one platform to the next, so you drop down the hole, down the hole, down the hole, down the hole and you kind of move you in down there and I in the chaos of what was going on somehow I managed to end up sort of I was trying to get down one of the holes but I ended up sort of sitting in it so my bottom was kind of in the hole but the rest of me wasn't really going anywhere right so I created this blockage and everyone else is trying to get through there's this game going on and everyone else is trying to get through and you would have thought someone would kind of help pull me up and out of it but instead of trying to pull me up and out of it, they decided they were going to push stuff me through the hole rather than trying to pull me out, okay? Uh, so I'm going bottom first. I've got people underneath trying to pull me down. At least this is how I remember it. People on the, on, on the same platform as me kind of folding me in half in like an extreme pipe position and just squeezing me through this hole until I eventually sort of make, force my way through and end up falling on. I don't know if you, on, on the platform below. I don't know if you've ever seen on a nature documentary when a. I don't know if I should say this or not. When a giraffe is, is giving birth and the baby giraffe kind of manages to make it to her and then and just falls from this great height. In that moment, I could relate to what was going on. It was just this sense of just dropping from that great height and landing on. The, maybe I shouldn't have said it. Sorry. Uh, landing on the platform below, and I remember uh, laying there, just a mixture of of quite a bit of pain but then also a real sense of amazement at how flexible I actually was. Uh, it's, it would not happen anymore. I know I would not make it through in that same way. So with that being said, <laughs> actually up until that point, I'd only ever been to an indoor soft plane a handful of times. The reason being was because there just weren't many of them around. They're everywhere now, which is why we go to them a lot. But they just weren't there anymore, which meant that when I did go, I remember just this sense of, this is just... Amazing, this is incredible, and you just walk in and spend so much time just taking in everything that was there. And it made me think, actually, for my children, they're very familiar with places like that now. And I can kind of think, actually, when we become fit, familiar with something, do we lose a sense of wonder that we might originally have felt? And the reason why I'm saying this is because, as a church, we're going through our new series where we're looking at the core values that we hold to the things that we say these are absolutely foundational for us and the values that biblical values that we know will then give shape to the biblical life that we live out as a church and if we're thinking about foundations in whatever context we know that foundations are important but they don't necessarily sound that exciting but actually I just really feel that, actually, that, that what, what we're doing is by going over these values is I don't want us to actually lose the wonder of the truths and the realities of what we are looking at and what we are saying. These are things that we are absolutely holding to and are central for us. For some of us, maybe these values are, are quite new and there's this sense of actually I'm discovering something new here that maybe I've not seen before. But for other, others, others of us, as we go through the values, we might feel actually unfamiliar with these things. And it is my prayer that actually we see and grasp the wonder of what we've inherited through Jesus and what he has called us to. Because really, that's what, these, that's what these values are all about. And for me, as someone who uh, has the, the privilege of being able to, to, to teach, uh, I, it's done me such good in my preparation just to be able to look at these values and just to, again, be, be, be struck by, the, by how wonderful they really are. If we think about the series that we've had so far, the first week we were looking at what it is to be a people who are word-based, where the word of God holds that central place in, in, in shaping our, our life together. Do you know, the, the word of, this is the word of God, that is, is, God has breathed it out and it's living and active. It's not an ordinary book. That we're holding fast to This is a wonderful thing that we need to, to realize. We were speaking in the second week about what it is to be a people who are, are grace-filled. That we never move on from the message of grace. That actually we've, bought, we, we've come to, to God in, in our brokenness. And yet he has given us everything that we needed to be reconciled to him. And grace that is ongoing and ongoing. It's the, me- it's the place where our faith begins we never move on from grace. It's a wonderful message, and it's a message that the world needs today. And then Mike was speaking last week about what it is to be a people who are spirit-filled. I don't know if outrageous is quite the right word, but have you ever thought of how shocking it is that the king of the universe would choose to live in you by his spirit? Let's not move on from how wonderful that is. And we're going to be looking... Uh, the next three weeks we're going to be looking at values relating to to leadership, the way that uh, the kind of leaders that we're called to have and the kind of leaders that we're called to be within the church. And then we're going to look at mission as well in the final three weeks. And again, it's just my prayer that we just really grasp a sense of the wonder of these values and the truths which they contain. So we're on to our next value. Is it ready on the slide? Uh, And so... We're going to be spending three weeks thinking about leadership values, and this is the first of our three leadership values of having elders in each local church. The Holy Spirit appoints elders recognized by the church in apostolic ministry. Church government is not a democracy nor an autocracy, but rather a theocracy. I'll explain those words as we go through. Elders' main functions involve leading, feeding, guarding, and guiding the church we see eldership as the calling of qualified men who oversee the local church in its shared endeavour. Okay, so as we have been doing, we're rooting these values uh, in scripture. So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to Colossians and chapter 1, we're going to look at some of what Paul wrote to the church, to the Colossian church. But just while you're making your way there, I was in, we were in worship a, a few weeks ago. Uh, I think it was at a point where we were... We, we were being invited to take part in, in, in signing or dancing. And I was thinking about King David at the time where the, the Ark of the Covenant, so where the presence of God was, the dwelling place of God, was, and, and the, the Ark was being brought back into Jerusalem. And on the, on the way to Jerusalem, there had been a point where the, the cart where the, the Ark was being carried was about to topple over. So if someone reached out and put their hand on the Ark to stop it falling over. And because of the holiness of God, that person dropped down dead. And from that point, David, actually, he was fearful. There was this fear that came upon him as he realized quite how holy God was. And they take the ark and they put it in the house of a man named Obed-Edom and it stayed there. But then what happened where the presence of God was, the household of Obed-Edom was just experiencing the blessing and the favor of God to the extent that as, when David found out about it, he's like, we need to bring the presence of God back to Jerusalem, back among his people. And as the ark is brought into Jerusalem, what we see is we've got David. Remember, he's the, the king of the nation, and the king of the nation is dancing and twirling and spinning around before the ark in this, just out of, a, out of a, um, an overflow of his sheer delight at God's presence being among his people. And then we see that what he does is he... he um, makes the appropriate sacrifices and, and, and he blesses the people and hands things out to the people there's a response in him kind of in terms of his leadership in a response to the presence of God being among the people and there were those who were looking on and to some they were like this is inappropriate behaviour for a king to be behaving in this way but the thing is in, in a sense this wasn't so much about David but this is about God and his people the appointed king of Israel is enjoying, delighting in, and making much of the king of Israel. And as I was thinking on that, and as I've allowed that over the last few weeks to kind of, as I've been meditating on that and thinking in preparation for this morning, I kind of come to to this thought, that our goal, or our purpose as the church, is to exalt Jesus. It is to love him. It is to honour him. It is to cherish him. It is to enjoy him. It is to make much of him. And this is true in everything that we do, in every area of church life, including how we govern or how we lead our churches. It has an impact on how we lead. And our folk, that's going to be our focus for today as we begin to think around leadership. And as we look at eldership. Now, one approach that I could have taken... To this value, one approach I could have taken is to, to look at eldership and to sort of un, unpack eldership. To look at the, the why's, the who's, the what's, the how's. That would have, there'd be a lot of good stuff in there. It would be good things for us to consider and, and to think about. But that's not the approach that I, I felt to take. Actually, what I wanted to do, rather than kind of drilling down and, and unpacking, I f- really felt that we want to take a step back and to look at eldership within a wider and bigger context, particularly in terms of Jesus and his church, and then seeing how eldership and leadership fits in around that. So rather than kind of drilling in, we're going to take a step back and think, actually, where does eldership fit in this bigger picture? Uh, And then over the next three weeks, we'll be able to kind of look at a few other aspects of that. So let's read Colossians, starting uh, chapter 1 from verse 15. Uh, So we're going to look at the look at eldership within the terms of Jesus and the church. So let's start with looking at who Jesus is. This is what Paul writes about Jesus. He says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is where we're going to start, our starting point for today. You see, this is Paul's message to the church, is that Jesus wasn't created at some point in history. He didn't come into existence when he was born of Mary. You see, far from being created, he himself is creator. He himself is creator. We're told that through him and for him, all things, all things were created. Those things that we see, those things that we don't see, all rulers, all authorities, whether earthly or heavenly. Which means that if he created, if all these things were created through him and for him, then it means that he himself is under no one or no thing. He is above all things. Because he is the creator of all things. Not only that, not only is he the creator of all things, but he sustains all things. He holds all things together. He's the reason that creation continues as it does because he himself is sustaining all things. To kind of summarize that, we could say this that Jesus is Lord of creation. He is Lord, he is ruler over all creation. I want us to think back a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the value around the message of grace. We were looking at, that, we, at our brokenness and the fact that actually we were not at peace with God. That's the reality that all of us have found ourselves in. Actually, the reality that we are born into is that we are not at peace with God. And yet what Paul tells us is this, is that Jesus, remember Jesus, Lord of all, The Lord of all creation, he himself, through his crucifixion and his resurrection, has reconciled us to himself. He's brought us back into relationship with him. Not anything that we've done, but his initiative and his work. The creator of the universe, his blood shed on the cross for us, reconciling us to himself. And he's gathered a people and he continues to gather a people to himself, a body of people that body of people being the church. He's gathered the church. And he himself, and he alone, is the head of the church. Okay, So he is the head of the body, the church. So as we're taking that step back and thinking about eldership and leadership within the wider context, and the bigger picture, here's the first thing we need to realise as we take a step back is that Jesus... Is the head of the church. That has to be our starting place where everything else works itself out from. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 uh, and from verse 19. And uh, and just the context of this pulls right into the church in Ephesus. Uh, and he's picking up on, and, and picking up on how you've got. Those who are, are of the Jewish faith, so those who were kind of born into being part of God's people. But then you've also got the Gentiles, so those who are non-Jewish, uh, who actually have been born again through what Jesus has done. And, and he's talking about how actually each, whether, whether Jews or Gentiles, first and foremost through what Jesus has done, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we then have peace with one another. That, that Jesus is calling not just one group of people to himself, but all people to himself and this is what Paul writes uh, we're going to read from verse 19 so in that context he says so then so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord and in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place, of, uh, dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So again, or let's just say again, rather we've got this picture now that Paul is presenting, a picture of the church. And we've got this idea again of Jesus gathering people to himself. So he's gathering this body, the church, to himself. And it's at this point I want us to think back to David and the ark, the presence of God, coming into the city and what his his response was to that just think about what his response was to the fact that god was dwelling among his people and that while he he had been chosen to be king of israel actually this recognition that this is god's people and god had come to dwell among them but god no longer resides in the ark god no longer resides In the temple. Instead he is chosen to take up residence. By his spirit in those who have been born again in Christ. Which means that Jesus is building us together. Into the very dwelling place of God. Where God lives by his spirit. That's who the church is. We are being built up into the dwelling place of God. This is where God lives. This is where God resides. Within the church. See, this holy temple, have you ever thought of yourselves being part of the church as being part of a holy temple? Well, that's who we are. It's who we're being built into, who Jesus is building us into. In this holy temple, the church is where God now meets with his people in joyful worship and fellowship. This is why just at the start was speaking about not losing the wonder. This is an amazing thing. This is an amazing truth. An amazing reality, a wonderful reality. The church is where God now meets with his people in joyful worship and fellowship. This is amazing. And we are a part of that. We have been called to be a part of that. And it's Jesus who is the chief foundation of that building, of that (coughs) temple. It's not the, the chief foundation was not a prominent leader. It wasn't some other founder, it wasn't someone that thought actually it would be a good idea to to gather people, like-minded people together, to form some sort of congregation or gathering. No, it's Jesus is the chief foundation of that building, of the church. And Paul uses this word to describe Jesus. He says that Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone is the first stone in a masonry foundation. It's the first stone that is laid. When the foundations were laid. And and all other stones are set in reference to that stone. Meaning that it determines the position of the entire structure. Without the cornerstone, you're going to struggle to build something. It's, It's the reference point. Essentially for what is built. And this is how Paul describes Jesus and his relationship to the church. He is the cornerstone. He's the one who reconciles He's the one who makes peace. He's the one who's gathered us into his family. It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that anyone else has done for us. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And in this picture of the church as a building, and with Jesus as the cornerstone, if you take Jesus out, it's not that the building falls down. Rather, without Jesus, there is no building in the first place. He is the chief foundation of his body, the church. And then we see Paul again in verse 19. He uh, he says that we are fellow members of the household of God. So it's this picture of being brought into God's household. And if it's God's household, then he's the head of the house. We have that as an expression, don't we? Who's the head of the house? Well, if this is God's household, then he's the head of the house. Which means he's the head of the church. We're starting looking at leadership values with the truth that Jesus is the head of the church. And to some, this might seem, a, it might seem like an obvious thing. It's like, okay, we know this, that Jesus is the head of the church. But let's not lose how significant that is and how wonderful that is. Because when we start looking at leadership values with the truth that Jesus is the head of the church, it's because it's a truth that sets the entire tone of New Testament leadership. That has to be our starting place. Because then it sets the tone of how else we understand and how else, and how else we move on and live out what New Testament leadership is. And we're going to unpack this a little bit, again, over the next couple of weeks. When Mike next week is going to be speaking about the Ephesians 4 ministries actually the Ephesians 4 ministries are very much in relation to Jesus being the head of the church and then the week after that we're going to look at being servant hearted in our leadership. Why are we servant hearted? Because we look to who Jesus is as the head of the church and we model our leadership on him so he has to be our starting point when we think about leadership within the church which is why actually let's take that step back and let's lay that as our good foundation on which we build upon. So it's within this context that our value of having elders in our local church sits. So Jesus is the head of the church. But the pattern in the New Testament is that local churches, individual churches, have elders who have been put in place to lead the people in the churches. The Bible uses many different names for this. It speaks about pastors, shepherds, Bishops, overseers, but the word most often used is elders. Okay, so if you're reading through your Bible, particularly in the New Testament, and you come across these different words, it's speaking about the same office. It's speaking about the same thing. Uh, but we would use we would use the word elder here. That's the way that we would understand it. We don't don't start calling me Mike bishops. That would be be strange. But we, um, yeah. So we're going to be thinking about eldership. Let's go back to our value. Who are elders, then? Well, elders are qualified men who have been called to oversee the local church in its shared endeavour. That is, who we understand elders to be and what their calling is. And for a little bit of time now, we're going to explore and unpack this value a little more, particularly in the view of what we see in the New Testament and the way that the church was and the way that leadership Function. Let's turn to Acts chapter 14. We're going to read from verse 21. And what we're going to see is this is a time where Paul and Barnabas are moving around, moving from town to town and city to city. Uh, and it says that when they, when, so Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch okay, so going from place to place to place strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed so we see this pattern going on so we see the gospel being preached and disciples being made we see the disciples being strengthened and encouraged. And as that's happening, what we then see is, is you get gathered groups of Christians being established. So groups of believers gathering together, being together, and these groups being established. But they're not then left to function as a democracy. Okay, so now we're coming to some of these words that were in, in the value. They weren't left to function as a democracy. Now, in democracy, a kind of a, a broad picture of what democracy is is that it's government. By the whole population. Uh, often, w- w- it, uh, it can be through elected representatives that would kind of uh, lead on behalf of the people, and it's where we have this whole idea of majority rule come in. But essentially, democracy is government by the whole population. But that's not what we see within the early church. You see, bef- they, as as the, the apostles had had gathered these groups of Christians. Together, before they left, they ensured that appropriate leadership was in place. They didn't go before the leadership was put in place. They appointed elders. So church government is not a democracy, but it's also not an autocracy. Now, in an autocracy, it's kind of the other extreme to what a democracy would be. It's where you've got one person with absolute power. But that's not what we see within the early church. It's not about one person being installed in that position of ultimate power. Actually, the pattern that we see in the New Testament is not of an elder in each church. It's elders, plural. There's a plurality of eldership. There's an element of of team within that, within the governance governance that's been put um, to the church. And we can't overlook this and how important it is for local churches to have plurality in eldership. So it's not one guy leading by himself. Actually, what we, what we need and what we, we need to be establishing in our local churches is teams of elders who are able to function and lead together. And there's great God-given wisdom in this. There's a lot that could be said as to why... Working plurality of elders is a good thing. Um, But just a couple of reasons why, and why I think there's great God-given wisdom in this, is because actually there's an element of, of if you have elders rather than an elder, there's that ability to be able to share the burden of leadership, where you're able to to share the weight of that amongst a few people, so that it doesn't become all of the, the, the weight of leadership on one person, where it might become overwhelming, and a load that's too heavy to bear, actually in team, you're able to share that out. There's a a, a support there and a strengthening there, which is good for the individual elder and elders, but it's also good for the church if they're able to to have that. Not only that, within team, you get a really good complementary mix of gifting. No one person will ever have every gift that they need to lead well. We all have our strengths, but we all have our weaknesses and our blind spots. Whereas if you're if you're working within team, you get there's more opportunity for having that good mix of the gifts. Where actually any areas where you might be lacking, someone else might have the gift that can come and fill that gap and put that in there. And that's the pattern that we see within the early church. And that's what we would be looking for in in churches, is the element of eldership, team, plurality there. So let's go back to our value. So church government is not a democracy in a sense that appropriate leadership has been put in place. People haven't just been left to, to govern or, or rule themselves. There's appropriate leadership in place, but it's also not an autocracy, it's not just about one person, actually we believe in plurality of eldership, but rather it's a, a theocracy, which means that we've got God as the ruling authority, Okay, which is where Christ is the head, that's why we started there, Christ is the head, so we've got God's ruling authority, but people experience his leading through properly appointed human leaders. Let me just read that again. So we've got God as the ruling authority. But people experience his leading through properly appointed human leaders. Let's jump back into Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 17. Yeah, I'm going to read from verse 7. It says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but the, that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave, so Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we will attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now I'm not going to say too much on these verses because Mike's going to be speaking next week on the Ephesians 4 ministries, so I'm not going to going to say too much but the point the reason why I included these verses and why um, I've included them here is because Jesus has given gifts to his church it's essentially what's being said in those verses Jesus has given gifts to his church that he calls and gives people the ability to lead is a gift of his grace that he has given to the church and among those that he has given to the church it says in there it says that he's given pastors or pastor teachers depending on how you Uh, interpret those verses so actually leadership is something that Jesus has given to the church now the purpose of these ministries, Mike if I'm saying too much throw something at me, I don't want to take everything you're going to say next week, but the purpose of these ministries is to equip the church for the work of ministry and to build the body into maturity, that's what they have been given for, which means that elders have their part to play in this so if we go back to our value, our value says that the elders, what they do is that they lead, feed, guard and guide the church. Because they have that role to play in equipping the saints for the work of the ministry and also building the body into maturity. So it's something that Jesus has given to the church. God has ruled in authority, but people experience his leading through properly appointed human leaders. And then again in verse 15 of that Ephesians 4 passage, Paul again reminds us that that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, but elders enable people to experience his leading. That's how it should work. Now, Paul was key in appointing elders. The apostles in the early church and in, in the emerging church were key in appointing elders. But there's something hugely important that we read in Acts chapter 20. And in verse 28, this is what Paul himself says. He says to pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his whole blood. Going back to our value again. We see that it is the Holy Spirit who appoints elders. But they're, elders, they're those that have been recognised by the church and by the apostles but it's the Holy Spirit who appoints them. It's the Holy Spirit who calls them. We don't just, we we can't make people into leaders. We can't. It's a recognition of what the Holy Spirit is is doing and of who the Holy Spirit has called and gifted in that way. Terry Virgo says this that I thought was really helpful. He says that throughout the Old Testament, God God chose whom he would to lead his people. The same principle applies in the New Testament church. Jesus, our ascended Christ, gave gifts. We cannot make people into leaders. We cannot simply vote them into office. We can observe and note the grace of God on people. We can see the anointing and respect the gift of God. And a church that honors God's gifts honors God and experiences God's ongoing favor. So it's that sense of actually, we need to be those who are recognizing uh, 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 recognizing um, the grace of God on people and the call of God on people for, for particular roles within leadership. And this applies to elders, which means we need to seek the Holy Spirit's help to enable us to recognize calls of eldership and on emerging gifting. We don't, you don't just make elders. We can't just make them. Actually, it's that recognition of who the Holy Spirit has got his hand on and who he has called. I was in Tesco's yesterday, had a really weird experience. I thought I saw my dad at the end of one of the aisles, but I wasn't sure it was my dad. And it took me to being within literally two feet of this guy to realise that it wasn't my dad. It was a very disorienting thing. I was like, is it? Is he? No, no, I don't know. The poor guy looking at me, and I was kind of eyeing him up and trying to work out who he is. But it wasn't until I got right up close to him where I was able to recognise, is this my dad or not? And the reason I'm saying this is because Actually, elders are not to be appointed from a distance. We need to be able to get up close to these, to these guys that we feel actually, is, is there an emerging gift or is there an emerging call? Okay, then we need to be around these guys and we need to be able to, to witness them. We need to be able to discern, are we seeing something emerging in them? We need to look at their character. We need to look at their gifting. We need to look at their love for Jesus. We don't just pick someone from a distance and say, they'll do or they look like they'll be good because actually it's not until we're actually up close with someone and really being around someone where we're able to decide okay we think there might be something here but until we're actually in their lives and sharing life with them uh, that will help us to discern actually is that actually what we thought we saw within them does that make sense? it's that sense of let's look for what we feel like the Holy Spirit is drawing our attention to where we see emerging gifting and emerging calling And then we need that process of let's be around these guys, let's observe them, let's see actually are we seeing what we think we're seeing in them in terms of the call and the gifting of God on them. 1 Timothy 5.22 says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. There's a warning here, don't be hasty in bringing people into eldership. And I think there's a possible tension that arises because we recognize the need for elders and it's a good thing that we want to have elders in our churches. But there's that tension going on of we can't make them. And actually we don't want to rush people in and bring people in as elders. And then realize somewhere down the line actually either the call of God wasn't on them. Or actually their character didn't match up with what we thought. Actually there's a God-given wisdom in, in not being in a rush to, to do that. But we need to be aware of that because te- there can be that tension. Of, but we need elders but we need to make sure they're the right guys that God has put His hand on, them, and that the Holy Spirit has appointed. See, we're a missional people. We are. We're a missional people. We're about making, seeing disciples made, and churches established. Which means that if we're wanting to see churches established, then we're going to need elders to oversee the local in each local church. Which means for us. It, here in Faversham, for us to have this as one of our values, we need to recognise and then envision and equip current and future elders. So we're seeing elders coming through for us here as a church, but also we need to be prepared to send them as well. If we're wanting to see disciples made and churches established, if we, if we want to see that and we recognise that each church needs elders, then we need to be prepared to send elders that we've raised up ourselves. That can be a painful thing, but actually if we want to see the mission going forward, then we've got a a part to play within that as well, to be those that say actually we're prepared to give of who we have here. See Jesus is the head of the church and it's this truth that sets the tone of New Testament leadership and with that In mind, our first value of New Testament leadership is this. Elders in each local church, the Holy Spirit appoints elders, recognized by the church in apostolic ministry. Church government is not a democracy, nor an autocracy, but rather a theocracy. Elders' main functions involve leading, feeding, guarding, and guiding the church. We see eldership as the calling of qualified men who oversee the local church in its shared endeavour. Okay, and then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack it a little bit more, but all the while remembering that Jesus is the head of the church. We, um, we think what we'll do, we'll actually draw our time together to a close. Think of possible response songs. Uh, re- a possible response. You know, like, there's no songs about elders, but that's a good thing. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to respond with songs about elders. Uh, but actually, if I could just ask you, Please do be praying for the elders here at the church. I know people do. So that's not me saying actually that we're lacking something and we need to fill it. I recognize that people do pray for us and I'm incredibly grateful and thankful for that. But please do remember Mike and I in your prayers often. Not just for me and Mike, but for our families as well. Please pray for us. First and foremost, for us in our, in our personal relationship with Jesus. Before we are called to be elders, we were called to be disciples of Jesus. That has to be our first priority. So please pray for us in that. Uh, But then pray that God would give us everything that we need in order to to serve you as best we can. And to lead you as best we can. I wasn't sure whether to read this or not, but I will. Uh, It was from from a book called Why Bother With Church, written by Sam Albury. And again, I'm not saying, do not take this as a criticism, because it's not at all. But rather, I read this, and for me, I thought, that is so helpful for me to recognize in myself. But actually, it's helpful. I think it's something that's really helpful for all of us to consider. Whichever church we're in, or a part of, or wherever God calls us to, he writes this. He says that we need to remember that pastors are church members too. They need the same pastoral care as anyone else. They will have battles in their Christian life. We need to let our pastors be Christians, not assuming that the Christian life just happens automatically for them, but getting alongside them, encouraging and supporting and loving them. Again, that's not a, that's not, I'm not saying that as a criticism. Actually, I experience all of those things. I absolutely do. But I think it's just a really helpful reminder, actually. And please also be praying for us as a church for future Elders that God would be raising up elders for us that would be able to serve among us uh, and and help to to bless the church family here. But also that through us and through people that God raises up here that we will see churches planted and established and strengthened as well. So let's, in our prayers, let's have a a local focus but let's also think bigger as well about the impact that, that God might have for us.